Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday, August the 18th, 2022. As always, I'm talking to you from San Francisco. We're having a, a religious day, a promised land day. Uh, earlier today, I did an interview uh, with Justin Gregg, a, a nature writer, an expert on dolphins, about whether Nietzsche, um, or imagining Nietzsche as a narwhal about animal intelligence and human stupidity, a, a book in many ways about Nietzsche as the prophet of the death of God and the end of the idea of the promised land. Seems as if, though, not everybody in the 20th century read Nietzsche or knew that God is dead. The subject of my book today, The Prophet of the Andes, An Unlikely Journey in the Promised Land by Graciela Moshkovsky, uh, is a remarkable story of um, a Christian slash Jewish prophet in the Andes. And she is joining me from uh, Graciela, you're in New York, are you at the moment? I am. At your office at uh, NYU. Um, at CUNY, actually. Oh, you're at CUNY. Um, right. Are you a, a colleague of Jeff Jarvis? Yes. Yeah, I am. An old friend of mine. Um, uh, Graciela, this book, um, The Prophet of, an, of the Andes, An Unlikely Journey to the Promised Land, is a fascinating story, which. Um, rethinks the idea of uh, of religion in the 20th century. Rather than the end of religion, it's a kind of new beginning. Uh, tell me about the origins of this story and how you discovered it. So thank you for asking. And uh, I do agree that it's a fascinating story. It has been for me. I've been following this story since 2003, so I clearly find it fascinating. I've, I've dedicated many years um, to getting it right, and I hope I have. Uh, I found the story, I was in Buenos Aires, I'm from Argentina originally, and I was in Buenos Aires at home in 2003, and I was looking for something in the internet, uh, something different, and I found this letter by a rabbi, um, a Lubavitch rabbi from upstate New York, uh, whom I've never met in my life, and he was asking for donations for a community, and he told the story of a community. It was the title of the letter that caught my attention. It was called uh, Converting Inca Jews. And um, in Peru, uh, there's no such thing as Inca Jews, uh, as Inca Indias, I'm sorry, it said Inca Indias in Peru. And um, But it caught my attention and I read it. And though the, the letter was full of errors and exaggerations, it told the story of Segundo Villanueva, um, a man from the mountains, from the north of Peru, from a hamlet in the Andes, um, who uh, had, you know, lost his father, found the Bible, started reading the Bible, and uh, embarked in this process that brought him from Catholicism to uh, Orthodox Judaism uh, with hundreds of people behind him. So uh, there was a phone number at the bottom of the letter for people who wanted to donate for the community. I had, you know, this, I just ran to the phone and I called the number. Uh, a woman picked up, uh, she recognized my accent, we started speaking Spanish right away, and she was the widow of the rabbi, the rabbi was dead. Uh, but she told me this, she confirmed that the story was basically true, and she gave me the phone numbers of Segundo Villanueva and his family. 
um, in Tapuach, a settlement in the West Bank where they were living. And so two weeks later, I was in Tapuach, and that's how I started my, my, the reporting that led to the book. Uh, Graciela, please correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that the prophet of the Andes um, sort of didn't begin thinking in a Jewish way, in a Jewish traditional way, but kind of reinvented the Jewish tradition without knowing anything about it. Is that fair? So... I just want to clarify something about the, the word prophet. The, I'm using uh, prophet in the title, and actually this is explained in the epilogue of the book, uh, not as a literal um, you know, uh, category. He was not by no means a traditional prophet in any formal way. He did not mean to be a prophet, but he, what he did inspired a wave of conversions in Latin America. So he was really a pioneer of a phenomenon that is now spreading throughout the continent and beyond. Um, and that's why I'm using that idea. But I just wanted to make sure that uh, who are the people who are listening or, or, or watching this um, don't get the wrong idea about the, this prophetic idea. He was not, he didn't think he was a prophet. He, God was not speaking through him. He didn't in any way came to bring, you know, news of any, you know, um, uh, it, it wasn't, it's not, it's, that's not what it means. It really means that he um, uh, was the pioneer and he was an, an involuntary prophet for something that was coming that, um, he helped, you know, um, Usher. And so he, he was, um, as I said, he comes from uh, the context is Peru, the Andes, hamlet in the north of Peru in the 1940s. Um, this uh, Segundo Totally Spag cut off, right? Totally um, separated from the outside world in many ways. Well, you know, he had his world. It was uh, it was a community uh, of of campesinos in the Andes, and uh, it was a small. It was a very very small town. It was a hamlet, and um, you know, uh, very rural and very Catholic. Uh, at this time, more than ninety percent of Peruvians were Catholic, and most of the Latin America was very much a Catholic region. Um, and this was right a, a decade before the Protestant um, missions started actually permeating Latin America and converting people to Protestant evangelical and Pentecostal um, uh, churches. So this was before that. So the Catholic Church really had the monopoly of the souls in the region and certainly where he was living in the Andes. Uh, and what happened to him was that he's his father was murdered uh, by a neighbor and um, they lost the little you know, uh, possessions they had. And the thing that he inherited from his father was this Bible that was hidden in a trunk. Um, they, they didn't know why the, the, the Bible was there. This was a Protestant Bible. So it was kind of a, kind of a you know, uh, forbidden object in a way. And he started reading and he got this, um, he was really, from the first time he read this book, he opened it at the beginning and he read it as a normal book. Uh, uh, this, this, you know, massive collections of books that were so, difficult to really decipher and understand by him. And he immediately was um, captivated by it. And he spent the rest of his life rereading it and trying to understand what was it that God was telling him through this book. And he really thought that if he could finally understand the message in this book, he, would, his, he could live the way he was supposed to live. So he changed his life. Um, you know, repeatedly, every time, you know, every he kept reading and he kept discussing this with other people and with a group of men that he assembled and with other 
pastors and priests and finally rabbis trying to get to the truth, which he, what he thought was the truth, which he never gets. He, 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 what he never got, he died in 2008 without really getting, I mean, he was still seeking when he died in 2008. Um, but, but the way he got from Catholicism to Judaism is not, a, is not really a straight line. Actually, the first half of the book, he's searching within Christianity. So he went from Catholicism to the Seventh-day Adventist movement, then to a radical group within the Adventist, a reform Adventist movement. Then he created his own church in the Amazon jungle, uh, Israel of God, he named it. And then in the late 60s, so 20 years in, or more than 20 years into his search, he found Judaism and then he thought that was a true um, when religion. When you say he, and this is what's intriguing to me, when you say he found Judaism, do you think in a way he pieced together the theology of Judaism from the Bible without actually knowing about Judaism? So he sort That's of correct. He, he, he got religion or he theorized um, he turned it upside down. He went from end to beginning in contrast to most religious thinkers, most figures who influence others. Right. So what he did was actually what really moved him the first time he read the Bible um, and he started by the beginning. So that's the Old Testament. So that's the Jewish Bible. Right. Uh, so he started by reading. Uh, Genesis, and he started by reading the the about um, you know the, the the first five books of the Bible, and those books were always foundational for him in his understanding of of everything, of life and God, and his relationship with God. And he found um, the the Sabbath or Saturday, El Sabado, uh, early on, and this is one of the main reasons why he abandoned the Catholic Church because they did not have. Uh, you know, they have Domingo, they had Sundays, uh, they did not have uh, Sabado. Um, and so there, there were so many things that were um, his findings, his original findings about, uh, which came as a surprise because nothing he knew about God and religion, you know, matched what he was reading in these five books. And, you know, there were so many rules and so many what you had, you know, that, you know, dietary rules, uh, festivities, holidays, um, you know, the way of, you know, um, uh, worship um, and the whole history that he had no, that he had never heard of. And this sparked his conversion. So he, right. he sort of, he, went, as you say, he, he pieced together independently from his readings of the Old Testament. One of the blurbs for the book suggests that um, it's as if the story is as if Gabriel Garcia Marquez had written the Old Testament. Uh, but I wonder, Graciela, whether there's another Latin American writer who could have written this, your compatriot, Borges, the idea of kind of coming to a religion without knowing about the religion. It's, it's, it's very Borgesian, isn't it? I think it's Borgesian. I, I'm glad you say that. You're the second person who sees that. Um, and I, that was very much in my mind when I was writing the book. Uh, it's, a Borg, it's, it's, it's a book, it's, you know, I think it's Borgesian in the way that this is somebody who starts reading a book and the book takes over. And this library, actually, all these books that are the Bible uh, completely change the, the, the world for this man. So the world is changed by this by this act of reading the book. At one point I thought, 
the book, um, I, I thought it was it was not a good idea, but I wanted to the title to be the reader because it's really about one way of understanding the the segundo story is to see it as as the story of a reader and a reader that is completely captivated by the books he's reading and the books completely take over. You're um, you're um, you're from Argentina originally, from a, a, a Roman Catholic uh, Jewish family. Um, we've done at Lit Hub some stuff on Borges. I even did an interview with uh, Jay Perini on his book about Borges. Did this element in it, did it sort of really resonate with you, do you think, as someone with some Jewish background yourself? So, you know, I have, my father is Jewish. Um, he's a third generation Argentine. Um, he comes, his family comes from um, Eastern Europe and and uh, they came in the, at the beginning of the 20th century. And my mother is a Catholic from Paraguay. Right, um, that's, so that's the Moshkovsky bit of you, right. the, the father's bit. So, that's correct and so but i was not raised as jewish uh, my my mother um uh, my father is an atheist jew and my mother is a, a a religious catholic and she when i was nine she had me baptized and sent me to nun school so i was raised as a catholic until i was 18 and when i finished high school i abandoned um catholicism and religion in general so this is not the book of a religious person this is really the book of a journalist uh but my and i'm not uh, a believer I'm, I'm not religious at all but i did connect i did have and i i'm not in the book i didn't feel i belong there so there is not a classic non-fiction in which you know part that my research is part of the story i'm i you know deliberately stayed away from the story because uh, i don't think i i belong there but there was um i think the first thing that moved me about the story and when i met segundo's daughters and his family um was that uh you know they had I, I can understand the experience of being um, uh, the experience of being Jewish or trying to be Jewish in, in their case, or being seen and, and immediately everybody assumed I'm Jewish in Argentina because of my last name, and and I do feel very much you know partially Jewish and it's really part of my identity, but I, not in a religious way. Um, but they they navigated those worlds, and Latin America is just so. Um, uh, it was so Catholicism and that culture was so prevalent and being uh, Jewish um, in Peru particularly was uh, there's such a small um, isolated community there. That's not the case in Argentina. In Argentina, there's right, a very yeah. large in Argentina, big Jewish community. As you say, I mean, relations between Jews and non-Jews are complicated. We're all familiar with, of course, Arendt's Eichmann in Jerusalem, well, Eichmann who who hid in uh, uh, Argentina. Um, yes, but, uh, uh, yeah, but I think, you know, Argentina had the third largest Jewish community in the world uh, for a long time after Israel and the U.S. And then the U.S. And New Buenos Aires is a very Jewish city in the same way New York is a Jewish city. So, you know, it's easier to be Jewish in Argentina than it was in most other yes, countries. So, so my question, Graciela, is why did... Um, why did Segundo and his family, why did they end up in Israel? How and why? So they, for him, uh, so Israel is one of the first things he found reading the Bible that really captured his imagination. Uh, he found that uh, it was not Israel as a, you know, geographical space, but it was Israel as a people. So one of the things that brought him uh, from Catholicism to, you know, all these, you know, 
uh, all these other churches and creating his own church and then going to Judaism. His own church was called Israel of God. And to him, being Israel was what God was telling him they needed to do. There was one people that was the people of God and the name of that people was Israel. So he found that early on and that never abandoned him. That was really important for him. So when he learned about modern Israel and Israel being a country that had been funded by the time he started reading the, 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 the Bible and it became a possibility, it completely shifted uh, his life and, and his search and that of his community. Uh, the way they found Israel um, was because one of his, uh, the members of his church, when we, they were still Israel of God and they were still trying to be Jewish, but they hadn't converted, is that this one of his followers or his uh, church members or his group members um, heard, um, uh, learned that there was going to be a, a biblical contest in Peru, a quiz that anybody could participate in, and it was about biblical knowledge. So all of these Bible nerds, all these people who were really, you know, Bible readers and had studied the Bible and could just, um, you know, recite it by, by heart, uh, attended like 300 people registered for that quiz and that competition. And one of the, you know, uh, this guy, his name was Victor Chico, who was a close, uh, a member of Segundo's group, won the quiz. And so the prize was a trip to Israel. So it was all paid by the um, Israeli embassy, and he spent two weeks in Israel. And when he went there, he learned, he realized that all of the places that he had read about in the Bible were there. So for him, this was an immensely important moment and a really moving moment. So before he left, he just wrote his wish to get himself, his family, and his community to Israel to live there, and he put it in the... Um, in the wailing wall, as you know, that there's these cracks where you can put your your wishes and your messages. And so um, that when he came back to Israel, to Peru from Israel, and he started telling the community about this country where Jews were, you know, uh, the majority, uh, uh, and they were, um, and they could live as Jews, and they did not have the problems that that they were having in Peru to be accepted as Jews and to be kosher, to eat kosher, and to have a Jewish life. And there was a country where people had a Jewish life, and it was easier um, for them. That's when they decided they wanted to go to Israel. And it took them 20 years, because it's not they were not Jewish. They had, they had not, I mean, by according to Jewish law, or, or to Israel, or to the Jewish community, they were not born Jewish, and they had not converted. So they they learned about this. They had to go through the process of conversion. It took them a long time for for them to get a rabbi a tribunal who would convert them. And finally, they were converted in the late eighties. And the rabbi uh, uh, who headed the conversion court was a settler. So he was um, the one who decided that uh, of all places in Israel, they were they were going to be placed uh, or located in these West Bank settlements in the North West, uh, West Bank. Gratia, you mentioned earlier that um, some of your research when you originally began to investigate this story came through a Hasidic community in New York. Um, we did a show with another scholar, actually more of a scholar than a journalist, uh, Nomi Stoltzenberg, has a book out, American Shtetl, The Making of Curious Joel, a Hasidic Village in Upstate New York. It's an interesting book and an interesting story about the Hasidic Jews who came to New York because they were hostile to Israel. Did this ever come up in 
the narrative of uh, of your book the no, idea so the... that um that if you were really jewish or and you really people of the Bible, you would not want to settle in Israel? Or was this irrelevant for them? This was irrelevant to them because they are not Hasidic. They, they did not belong to those communities. Uh, they learned about, uh, there's a moment that I think is a very, um, it's a very important move, mo- moment for them and a moving moment, I think, in, the, in, the, in, in their lives and in the book, where they finally get to, to Israel or to the settlements. And they are, uh, they start, and they, this is the first time they understand that they need to choose a congregation, they need to choose a synagogue, they need to choose one, you know, one way of being Jewish and one way of, they need to choose their own, you know, book of prayers. And it depends on which community they belong to, that which book that would be. And to them, to Segundo, most of the community embraced that and chose a, a group or a congregation. But Segundo did not accept that. And he just did not want to, um, he just wanted to be Jewish and he, felt that rabbinical Judaism and all of these, you know, uh, uh, groups and all of these uh, uh, ways of being Jewish that was dictated by local rabbis or specific rabbis uh, was not what he was looking for. So he actually rejected that. And he also learned about Hasidic Hasidic Jews and all of the different, you know, um, ways, but it, it was not, they, they were not close to, 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 the, to that group. Actually, you know, all of the, there's more than 500 um, Peruvian converts uh, now based in different settlements in the West Bank and they, they had children. So there's, there's more people now and they're all very much, um, you know, um, uh, pro-Israeli and Zionist. Graziella, is there, you know, we talked a little bit about Borges, is there a sort of a an almost surreal quality to this narrative of these quote unquote very innocent Peruvian people who end up on the West Bank in one of the most um, controversial, divided places on earth? No, I actually don't agree with that narrative. Um, um, I, I think there's a unfortunately a tradition by journalists to cover impoverished people or, you know, people of color or people from uh, rural areas as if they have no agency. And so they're used by other forces and they're part of, of a phenomena. In this case, these, you know, they, um, they were, you know, they were, they were set, they were settled in this, in this area because that was part of the political agenda of the people who converted them, but they very much embraced it. And, um, they never felt, if you ask them, they never felt used, actually, you know, in, in any case, uh, it, it, they felt they were being helped. And if in, in, in the worst case, it was mutual, being used mutually, you know, they got what they wanted. To them, it's a success story. It was not for Segundo. Segundo continued, ended up being um, feeling lonely and abandoned by his community because now the rabbis knew more than he knew and so he became irrelevant to them so at the end of his life he went back to peru to try to create another community there nobody wanted to know about nobody wanted to listen to him anymore so he goes back to tapua and then he loses his mind he gets dementia and then he dies but he kept looking for other groups so he's a classic and and i know you're not keen on this word prophet out of the old testament in the sense that no one really follows him and he fails as all good prophets do in a biblical tradition correct well i he's not he was a 
he was he had his he was a free thinker he didn't he didn't want others to tell him how he needed to interpret the bible he in that case he was very protestant in a way because he really felt like you know you had to it was between the book and you between the bible and you and it was god and you and and the bible and the, the, you didn't need more intermediaries so i think he was really suspicious of 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 institutional religion um and and pastors and rabbis and and people telling him how to interpret it he felt um he could do that by himself and he he kept having questions that did not really match one you know one institutionalized religion so i i think he's just i see him as someone who had his own ideas and his own mind and his and he was he felt free to interpret um and, and and he did not want other to, to to give that to someone else to do for him. So in that sense, would it be fair to say that he fitted very much into this new sort of evangelical Christian culture in in Latin America that's taken off over the last uh, few decades? That that well, uh, he pro- was not Protestant. The success of I don't know what you want to call it, Lutherism or evangelical thinking. Um, it just happened that he sort of fell upon the Jewish tradition, but it wasn't that unusual. So when he, when he did it, it was really unusual. So he was really um, a pioneer of a phenomena that that he did not create, but he he did all of the he did this this you know journey before so many people in the continent. Yeah, um, like, like Borges, that that sort of narrative of the book that he. He, he discovered the book. He read the book before it was written. Exactly. So what happened was that, uh, you know, he was not an evangelical and he did not share that. That, that was not the kind of, um, you know, uh, interpretation that he he made. But what happened once, you know, in the middle, once he was already had already done half of his journey, Latin America started this uh, process of massive conversion uh mostly to evangelical churches and Pentecostal churches. This is also happening in Africa and in other places right. in the world. But in Argentina, in, in, sorry, in Latin America, it's been very, um, uh, you know, a very dramatic change, a switch, a swift, in, you know, the, 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 it's really re- the, the conversion of a continent in a way. And we have now countries that were, you know, more than 90% Catholic in the 60s that are now a majority Pentecostal, for example. So in that case, he's, representative of um of a of a search and a, and and you know there's there are there's all these people seeking for a religion identity that fits them better with where they feel more at home or where they feel more you know um i don't know where they that feels right for them and that did not happen before you know since the conquista you know since the yeah, 16th it's, century it's, it's a very not just Latin American, it's a very North American, it's a very American uh, tradition of, of thinking or rethinking religion. Is there anything for the Jews here or is it just happens that he fell upon Judaism? No, I think the book, you know, the, the book becomes um, very much uh, a, a new and unexpected answer to the question, who is a Jew? You know, this is a very important old question uh, that has had so many answers throughout history for the Jewish people. And I think, you know, if you, I think, uh, if you are Jewish and you read the book, you will 
conclude that this that's what the book is about that this book is about you know um who is a jew and you know a new answer to that question and and how hard it is to answer that question so Gracias. some people might be watching this and thinking well i'm sort of sympathetic to these people but they came to this place, they took away land, or they contributed to the taking away land of people who would live there for generations. How would you respond to that critique? Whether I or think, not they were innocent, I take your point right. that they had their own agency and that no one well, was telling you know, them what they, to do. They, most of them decided to make that they, you know, they accepted that um, place in the, you know, they they own that political decision and that agenda. So they're very much now part of the settlement movement. So um, I think the people who are, you know, coming to that conclusion in the book, um, they are right that this is, you know, they are part of that now. And what about the, the again, this is, it's such a complicated, it's such a Bocasian narrative. You can sort of un, un, uh, unwrap the, the onion endlessly. What about the, the Inca quality, the fact that they're not really Peruvian, they're from another indigenous tradition. Is that important or is that just a, a footnote to all this? Well, they are really Peruvian and the, everyone who's Peruvian is part of that history, right? So the book begins, um, the book that it starts with the, you know, uh, moment when the Spanish, the Spaniards come to Cajamarca, this um place where the uh, you know inca king was located at that moment and the inca empire was ruled from cajamarca cajamarca is where segundo is born so it's the same town 500 years later um and it starts with the conquest and how i wanted to begin the book with the moment in which the bible comes to the andes and how it was forced upon the people who live there and how you know they were denied their religion and they were forced um, to become they didn't were not given a choice they had to become christians and catholics so part of that history i think that's it's very important to understand that history uh, segundo is not an indigenous man he's a mestizo like most of peru so he has indigenous and spaniard um you know uh, uh, heritage and uh, and he's a combination of those cultures like that's how Peru was born. And uh, in that case, he's just, you know, um, one of his, he's not different from a majority of the people around him. Um, and uh, what to me was important about the, the, the history of the original, you know, native people of that, of the Andes and, and the, the story of Segundo was that, uh, you know, th he had inherited this, it was very much part of his culture, this inheritance of a religion that was forced on people and that, and then the people made them made, made theirs, but in a way that incorporated beliefs that were not Catholic. So it was kind of a, you know, there were a lot of reasons in his history and the history of the place in which he was being, in which he was reading this book that made him that kind of supported him in his doubts and made him want to leave the Catholic Church and become his own search and, 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 and have his own religion. So I thought it was important to, to make that connection in the book. Uh, your day job is uh, running the, um, the School of Journalism at CUNY. Um, do you think that the book itself is 
a model for your students of how to write history about incredibly complicated subject, colonialism, Jews, anti-Semitism, Israel, um, Peru, indigenous peoples. It's a tough time to be writing these kind of non-fiction narratives about religion and indigenous peoples, isn't it, Graziella? Graciela. I mean, I think writing a book is tough at any time and about it. I don't know. I, you know, I, I hope it's a model. I will never, you know, ask. Yeah, you've been read. very rigorous. You're, you're determined not to fall into any of the, the traps, the political traps of these kinds of books. Oh, that's what you mean. So I think, uh, yes. Yeah, so I want, you know, I'm a writer. This is my seventh book. And with all my books, I've always, um, I'm not, I'm, I'm a reporter, you know, I've been a reporter all my life and I, I think I like nuance and I like, um, I think life is very complicated and nuanced and it's really difficult. I'm not one of those people who always know what's right and what's wrong. I actually always have, uh, I always feel things are way more complicated, though I have my political ideas, they are not the same of Segundo and his people. My ideology is completely different. I do not agree with them in almost anything they did. I would never have done what they did. But I really admire what they did in a way that the search for the truth and I admire their determination. And there's a lot in them that I don't, again, don't agree with, but there's a lot that to me is fascinating and it's a lesson for other people and it's really just a really really good story that i thought needed to be told and right, i want and, uh, people to come up i want i don't want to tell people what to think about it i want everyone to think whatever they want some people will find it outrageous and will think these are you know I, i've heard this from readers they think that this is a story about people who are religious fanatics uh, i don't agree with that but I, I can i understand how you can come to that conclusion and for other people this is a story about you know how wonderful it is you know to be to try to be jewish uh, you know uh, at this time and and the, you know and about the value of faith or it's about identity and your freedom to become whomever you want and i think all of those interpretations are possible yeah and what's nice about this conversation and i think your approach is you do believe there is a truth it's not a simple truth it's a complicated nuanced truth uh, but you you run one of the major journalism schools in the U.S. and and I assume you're also telling your students that to report for newspapers or to write these kind of nonfiction books, they should believe in the idea of there being a truth and trying to cover it in all its nuanced, complex manner. Yes, totally. And I believe in the mission and the public mission of journalism too. So I think. You know, with the tools we're giving as journalists, trying to get as close to the truth as we possibly can, it's it's as, as, that's our job. Well, you're doing Craig Newmark a great honor and service. He put his money into your school, and I know Craig. Congratulations on the book, um, uh, Graciela, uh, the Prophet of the Andes. What else are you reading these days? I'm sure you're you're keeping busy with lots of other interesting books. So I just read and I wrote about it. I'm also a columnist for The New Yorker. So I just wrote my last piece last week. Yeah, I, I read that. Go on, sorry. It's about Mr. President, uh, Miguel Angel Asturias translation. Um, it's a translation of Miguel Angel Asturias, El Señor Presidente, which is a classic of Spanish language literature, the first dictator novel and the first um, 
you know, uh, what probably one of the first, like the, the precursor of the boom and magical realism. He was a wonderful writer. And this is a beautiful, beautiful novel that is being finally, um, you know, appreciated in the US and in the English language world. Um, uh, it's, a, it's a book from, you know, almost a century ago, but it's just now really get it, having its moment here. So it was wonderful to reread that book in Spanish and also read the English translation. And I'm also reading now because I'm going to um, uh, be having a public conversation with my colleague, Linda Villarosa, who's this wonderful writer who writes for the New York Times Magazine and teaches uh, our students here at CUNY. Uh, it's called Under the Skin. And it's this, uh, you know, incredible indictment on how the, you know, health system in America about racism and and the health system and how race determines whether you're going to receive good medical care or you're not, whether your child is going to die in labor or the mother or not. And it's an incredible piece of, um, you know, just investigative reporting. And so that's the one I'm reading right now. We'll have to get them on the show too. Can you introduce me? Of course. I can do that. I'll be happy to do that.